Hey there, it's Rob here. Just a quick little word about this episode before you listen to it. You are going to hear me tell a series of lies to Johnny, Paul, and Robert at around the 40-minute mark about what happened to Dora at the end of last episode. Before you get to that conversation, I want to assure you of two things. Number one, everything you heard last week actually happened. And number two, that there is, of course, a story reason for this deception, and the team will be able to unpack it over the course of the next two weeks. The reason I was able to get away with these shenanigans is because back when we recorded this one, the players still hadn't listened to last week's episode. So when you hear me doing some recapping of the skill challenge, that's not just for your benefit. It was actually the first the players heard about what had happened. And finally, Katie had no idea what I was about to say here. All I told her in advance was that I was going to spin a different version of events, and I asked her to play along as if that's what Dora remembered. And, of course, she was totally game and jumped right in. All right, here we go. Dark Nexus. Tonight, it's Act 2, Chapter 73. Mm. Tonight, we'll include a bit of a State of the Union here with some review and after-action reports. But first, (laughs) take a walk with me, will you? Oh, yes. Where are we going? Join me, Polly. Hold my hand. (laughs) Look around you. The year is 4705. 13 years ago. The place is Market Street, the town of Thrushmore, Versex County, the immortal principality of Ustalov, the continent of Avistan, the planet of Galarian, on the prime material plane, the real world. This is real. This is happening. Two small figures walk down Market Street. A little boy, nine years old, Pale and thin, his head's a little too big for his body. Looks like his joints are kind of messed up. He's hiding behind a mop of dark black hair. And a little girl, four years old. Metallic bronze skin, bright purple eyes, straight yellow hair. We see her somehow. Brother and sister are holding hands. They pass the fish market. They pass the road that veers up to the high mart. They pass what will one day be Lelwyn's place. There's nothing across the street right now, not yet. At this point in time, the people of Thrushmore still haven't decided what to do for a church. Not since Kauston Creed and the incident at the old chapel. Which they're all working hard to try to forget. (laughs) Down Market Street they go, brother and sister. Brayden has a shit-eating grin plastered all over his face. He loves secrets. And he especially loves when Daria does her little trick. She goes. And nobody can see her. He doesn't know 
how she does it, but the feeling of holding your best and only friend's hand in yours, while nobody in the world but you knows that she's there, it's intoxicating. Kind of like Miss Mellison's fun juice. Though she stopped drinking that lately. Trying to get her act together, Dad says, trying to take control of the endless string of disappointments that make up her wasted life. Aren't we all? Aren't we all, Dad? Brayden and Daria pass the East End well, pass the last cluster of houses, and reach the fence. It's supposed to keep people out, but there are holes, tons of them, kid-sized holes. Daria whispers urgently. She reminds Brayden that they're not supposed to be here. The fog is getting thick. She's scared. She's scared. And Brayden assures her that everything's going to be okay. You see, he speaks adult. He knows how to read through the lines. Dad all but said it was okay. And he gave them some fun juice. Blue, fizzy, fun. Daria doesn't like the look of it. Dr. Vaticus makes her nervous. So Brayden drinks all of it. And they squeeze through the empty slats in the Wailing House fence and disappear into the mists. Now, standing in the front room of the Wailing House, halfway here, halfway there, nowhere, really, not living, not dead, but trapped in an endless state of torment, Ray's ghost paces. He doesn't understand that he is causing all of the weird oscillating lights to flash inside the old mansion, or that the more he moves, the colder it gets. He doesn't understand this because he doesn't understand anything but pain. He doesn't understand why he can't remember. Why can't he remember? Shouldn't his memories have come back? Where are they? They, they feel so close now, like just like, just like right there, like one more layer down but also further away than he can fathom or reach. He remembers the walk. He remembers the fun juice. He, he remembers the fog and slipping through the slats. He knows that he comes to with his necklace wrapped tight around his hand. He knows that he runs. He knows that she's dead. He knows she's dead. He knows he knows that she is dead. But what lives in the spaces of his memory that he cannot see? Is he? Will he forever be defined by those spaces? By the things that he has done that he will never remember? Will he forever be defined by loss and consequence? It's too much. He screams. He screams the name. He screams her name over and over as the lights flash and the air chills. 
We'll leave the spirit of Braden Vaticus in the cage of his undeath for now and turn back to the party. Y'all, it is the middle of the night, 1.40 a.m. on the 8th of Neth. The exhaustion you are all feeling has got to be bone-fucking-deep. It has been an incredibly busy and wildly productive night. And I don't say that to editorialize, Katie. Probably (laughs) safe to say it's even more successful than you could have ever hoped for when you first, remember this, hunkered down in the bushes atop of Iris Hill back at the end of Chapter 63. And we're so far along now that that was a while ago. Since, yeah. the part of tonight, since part of tonight's story is going to be about gathering essentially after-action reports on what all went down while y'all were split up, let's just uh, let's kick off with a quick review of how many of Mellison's forces you took down just tonight. Idus, Topiary Guardians, Star Vampire, Hound of Tindalos, Rat Swarm, Namira Lowells, a Haster Cultist, 11 Kuru mercenaries, cultists, slaves? We have no idea. In fact... Gauging the emptiness of the estate as you left it, it's possible that you might actually know everyone Mellicent has left on the board. You haven't been below ground yet anywhere in Iris Hill, but you pretty much almost entirely cleaned out the above ground floors of all of the buildings. And as far as you know, what she got left? The Penangolin and the Mananangal. Yes, and herself. Mellicent, herself. We're a lie. And perhaps. Perhaps. And we know four, that she was there at some point. Right. And four of the undead soldiers that we left at Fort Hale Course. Five. 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 <laughs> two scum. And two scum. Degarbatha. Oh, Degarbatha, for right. sure. And I think at this point, based on what, was it Dora or Atima who made the knowledge check on the soul sliver? It was a high one, right? Yeah. I think you could safely assume at this point. So let's say it was Dora. If Dora made that yeah. check, she knew that in order to exit a mirror, the soul sliver has to be in somebody else's shape. Yeah. So knowing that the escape route was down through a well in the basement, I think you might be cooking on the idea that th- that, that second scum is probably the soul sliver looking mm-hmm. like Dagrabatha for the moment. Because uh, there has been otherwise no sight of that creature. There there was one thing, too. I remember a long time ago, there was like tracks of something where it had very small feet and it was like, or regular sized feet that was lighter than normal. That, that was the Doppeldreck. So oh. that was the gigantic fucking scum that was actually just seafoam in the shape of a scum. Um, so like Got that was it. me setting up a mystery for, okay. for later to just like make it seem weird. Um, <laughs> well, it worked. Because it was weird, right? I, I kept that in my brain yes, until now. Yes, Rob, it was weird. But it's, a fun, it's a fun gaggle of creatures. <laughs> so that might be it, right? As far as you know? Yeah. I'm I mean, not going to assume that that's it. That's a short list. Y- or, all right, but if Compared that's Compared to it, what you killed tonight. Sure. Yeah, but we also saw... What did we see tonight? We saw like somebody mm. running around doing something. Basically, one individual creature was talked about that you couldn't otherwise account for, which is a quote, strangely bloated man that nobody knew. <laughs> otherwise, there were dandies running about. People would have talked about, I think I saw Fishman scampering here and there. We will learn about the high mart and the appearance of the vampires. But um, yes, there was at least one more thing showing up tonight that I don't think any of you have yet seen or heard of. This is this strangely bloated man. Nobody went there. Nobody went there. Hmm. Also, I, I'm just trying to imagine like Degarbatha being the one running around doing this stuff, and that seems 
maybe out of character, but I don't know. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, so it feels like there feels like there's a possibility of other. Feels like there's more than what we think we know. Possibly so. Possibly so. You also, it's you know, it's it's been a hot second, but you walked out of Iris Hill with a crap ton of stuff. Want to review what you walked out of there with? Because I think we might possibly have some time today to start digging into some of that stuff. Unidentified ring from Namira Lowell's. Yep. Unidentified vial of dust from the Great Hall in yep. Iris Hill. Yep. Um, the many, many, many books, which we may or may not look at right now. A trunk filled with 22 books with suspiciously specific titles for a role-playing game. Uh, two unidentified <laughs> scrolls, mm-hmm. a red leather spell book, which yep. Roni would definitely want to check out because oh, yeah. he can actually, oh, yeah. if there's any crossover, he might be able to turn them into alchemical Formula. formulas. Nice. And then uh, some sort of basic stuff from... Oh, hang on. There's also one unmarked book that was in that collection. I don't know if they made that. Un- unlabeled un- un- Unlabeled book. Yeah. book. Yeah. We've got yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, so the, the collection of notebooks with an accounting of Lowell's interviews, is that what is we would have needed to fill up the rest of the bag of holding to take no. that, or is that different? That's a separate thing. That is a smaller collection of notebooks that seems to be what he brought with him every time he went to see Zandalus, which is different than, like, his life journal, that is. Uh, this, this is what we should call the library. You should call the life journal the library. Let's just call this Notebooks with Lowell's Interviews. Yeah, that's what that's what it's. It, Great. It, collection of notebooks with an accounting of Lowell's interviews with Ulver Zandalus. Yeah, perfect. You also got a collection of maps that uh, Dabwick found, along with an accounting of supplies, equipment, and personnel to be purchased for a voyage. And it looked as though uh, this voyage was going to commence with a river trip down to Casimir. Uh, You also took a crap ton of the Lowell's family jewels from the attic. She had tucked like a whole bunch of like just mundane but incredibly valuable jewelry into a leather pouch. I feel we earned that. (laughs) Right? Yes. You don't feel weird about taking that? No. Is that no. the uh, emerald of a thousand and four hundred yeah. gold piece necklace, yeah. earrings, ring, pearls? Okay. Yep, we got that here. So you obviously hadn't haven't had a chance yet to go through any of the papers you took. You just had a few seconds to, to skim the top and see what they were. Uh, we've already talked about how that collection of Lowell's life journals you had to leave behind would be a library, according to game mechanics. Uh, but no clue yet what it would take to go through this stuff. But let's all assume we're looking at kind of in the in the realm of probably got to spend eight hours on each thing to kind of plow through it and see what you're dealing with. And we also know there is still the town records room up at the fort. So, like, finally, Katie, Katie was just so waving her arms. You're sitting on a huge pile of research for the first time in this campaign, which is uh, which is really fun. It was uh, it was a big, big, big day for the party, but we still have to. Yeah, we're not done. Oh yeah, no, we still have to get the party back together. We know that the Selen Starling is due to return at around dusk tonight, and we'll be looking for a flare fired from Roni's alchemical torch as a signal that it's safe to dock. But it's around 15 hours or so until that point, so let's uh, let's get the party back together. Let's start with Roni. Roni, you're at the Silver Wagon. Uh, while Rosa, daughter of Goethe, was working with her crew inside the wagon to help Dina get the fire in the attic tamped down... Milosh the baker was outside riling people up. You've calmed that scene down. Give me a give me a perception check there, Johnny. Twenty-eight. Okay. My uh, mind is sharp like a tack. It sure today. is. It sure is. You still got that uh, Despite, tears, tears to wine going, right? Uh, yeah, or that would, 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 Well, it's ten minutes per level, so you tell me. Y- yeah, you do that. Okay. 
I mean, despite the haze of just exhaustion, how crazy this whole day and night has been. Uh, still just like on it. You're you're in the valley between Iris Hill and Fort Hill course, and up the squat, flat hill just north of you, you see signs of a crew of people moving into the fort and some lights being lit in the courtroom, setting the, the stained glass windows aglow. And what is that? Is that a short, brave little form waving a little flag from atop the battlements down to perhaps quickly get the attention of the pockets of people they can see close down below? <laughs> you, see, uh, you see a little dabwick form uh, atop the battlements. Are they rallying people over, to the fort? Overseeing as a, a, cl- a fairly significant cluster of people are moving into the fort and uh, taking up residence. And obviously Dabwick can see right down the hill to where your cluster of people is gathered around and has some lights lit and uh, seems to be waving a flag to indicate that there's something going on up at the fort. This is one of those things that's so hard because of my paranoia <laughs> I know. I know. and my specific paranoia. Roll for it against <laughs> Dabwick. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I don't know what I would. You do. got a twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. So you can tell that the group of people entering are not. It uh, doesn't seem to be humans. It seems to be dwarves and halflings. If I'm thinking that they are still part of the grand conspiracy and I don't trust them, mm-hmm. then I feel like I have to go and check it out. But I don't know that I would recommend anybody else follow me yet. Okay. So go, I think so. Go by yourself. I think I. I think I would say, all right, you guys stay here. I'm going to go and uh, check things out at the fort. I'll let you know if you should come. If you hear a gunfire, fired from the top, you can come. We'll be listening. All right. So you go into stealth mode yep. to sneak up there. Yep. As you're as you're making your way up the hill and you <laughs> hunker down at the outskirts of where the uh, the tree line has been cut back, yeah, you do you do see signs of uh, nobody on the battlements except for Dabs, who's probably gotten off of them at this point. It was just like a quick little pop up and wave, not trying to attract like town wide attention. But you can see signs of yeah, people, there's torches lit on the inside. No signs of people walking around on the top. But uh, uh, the front door is still open, and you can see people gathering in there. Do I see Grip or Dora? You do not. I'm going to wait. Okay. Grip, you're over in the High Mart with uh, your folks are ducking back down into cover there. Why don't you give me your perception check? I'm going to roll a die. I'm going to roll it. my brand new fuck you, fuck me <laughs> D20. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. <laughs> Uh, that's an 18 on the die. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so that is uh, blah, 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 blah. Katie just took credit for that role. Blah, <laughs> <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Arms in the air. Um, so that's a 20, 25. So you, you see the same thing that uh, I described to Johnny. And knowing what you knew about the well situation as the two of you left it, you know for a fact that Dabbook was headed in the direction of the dwarf and halfling section of town and uh, seen a group of people up there and what appears to be dabs on top of the battlements of Fort Hale course rallying the troops I can probably pretty quickly put together what might have happened with Dabwick. but does it does it seem like they are they are 
signaling for help or signaling a signaling a quick I'm here. Right. Then I will I will I will proceed towards the fort. All right. So Grip joins you and we're probably, you know, this takes about another 10 minutes or so after all of, you know, you have to leave your folks behind, sneak your way up the hill, two of you are together and uh Still no sign of Dora yet. Uh, Grip has joined you. Okay. What do the two of you want to do? Should we go see what they were waving that fucking flag about then? Yeah, you go first. I'm going to back you up. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I do so. Also, what the hell happened to you? You look like shit. He looks like colossal it's shit. It's been a fucking night, hasn't it? Yeah, Johnny, he's, he's bleeding from the neck. He's burned. <laughs> And he's hacking and coughing in a way that makes it seem as though he's a little Ill. I would absolutely pull out the wand and, like, Great. tap him with the wand yeah, at least he, once. Yeah, he could use at least a tap, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, Robert is vigorous, vigorously nodding. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm under half. Give me a heal check there, too, for Roni. That is a uh, natural 20 for a 32. He's suffering two points of constitution damage. It seems as though one of those points is probably from blood loss from the puncture wounds in his neck and the other might be from ingesting poison. <laughs> oh, wow. It might be. And he may have taken about five points of fire damage. <laughs> okay, I pull out a, uh, I pull out a vial of Padzar oh, and give one that does. to Grip and say, don't drink this yet, but uh, as soon as we can actually like rest, drink this. It's going to help you. What does that do right. again? Drinking this crystal clear liquid accelerates the natural process of healing constitution damage. Resting for one hour after drinking a vial heals you of one point of constitution damage as if you had benefited from a full night's rest. Perfect. So that combined with a full night's sleep would have you completely cleared of con damage. Ding, ding, ding. I'll take it. it. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. So, Dabs, you see them approaching. Long story short, we're able to get the three of you together up here at the fort. Grip, give yourself eight more hit points. Nice. Thank you, thank you. With the three of you together, you are able to share with each other almost every single event that happened last night because you were all, at least one of you was at everything that happened except for uh, Dora's final thing. So we can share all of those things. And Katie, since I robbed you of the opportunity to track victory points last time, do you want to do that officially now? Yes. Okay. So there were 12 events, and since I said you all out of the room and asked you not to share information with each other, you have no idea what happened at over half of them. So some of this will be a little bit of uh, rehash for you folks, but a lot of it will be new. So the first wave of mayhem involved Mellison's agents attempting to burn down a bunch of the prominent businesses in town. Grip arrived at the depository to find that two explosives had been rigged quickly, one near the top floor office door and one downstairs at the front door. Lank, the owner of the depository, found himself trapped on the third floor above a currently going fire, and he knew that the front door down at the bottom was also rigged to go. So our buddy Grip climbed up the side of the building... (laughs) Lank crawled out onto his back and Grip carried him down to the ground. They ignored the trapped front door, broke in through a back door, and then Grip pulled out... 
the winter oh, blankets, the winter blankets. <laughs> from chapter five. Winter blankets. And used the winter blankets to help put out the fire. It was rough going, however, and in the process, Grip took five points of fire damage, and there was some uh, there was some property damage, loss of materials, so zero victory points from that encounter, but Lank was saved. Meanwhile, Roni arrived at the smokehouse to find a chemical fire raging from the illicit substances that Lysi Brilt manufactures in her secret lab, and a group of children were trapped in the basement of the structure. So Roni got there very quickly. Uh, while mixing and drinking an extract of tears to wine while hustling across the town, and then used his knowledge of Lysi's operation and the building, along with, uh, it was a monkeyfish extract, yep. right? Yeah. Uh, to climb down a chute, locate a weak point in a wall, bash through, and lead the children to safety. He suffered a point of acid damage in the process from breathing in the fumes, and there was some property damage and stuff, but no lives lost. One victory point achieved by Ronnie at that encounter. And then you all saw the undead Hailcourse soldiers firing flaming arrows from Iris Hill onto the Silver Wagon. You knew a fire had started. Dora and Dabs raced up the hill, found three stories worth of guests streaming out onto the street. The crowd was panicking. Dabs ran up to the building, summoned a group of water elementals that handily put the fire out in seconds. While Dora identified a capable-looking dwarven woman, Rosa, daughter of Gerda, in the crowd and empowered her to take control of a subset of the group to prepare a bucket brigade in case more arrows fell, which they inevitably would. And she directed all the panicking souls into her care. That was two victory points at that event. And then here is where Dabs can share uh, a little bit of story about Dora having dug up rumors of a weird, strangely bloated dude mucking around near the old chapel. But nobody went there, so we don't know what happened. So what I take it then no victory points for that one. No. no that, they, those are, they got victory points yes, for that yes, one. Yes, they did. So at around uh, 1 a.m., the second wave of mayhem was rolling, which seemed to focus on the sleepless agency and the new chapel, sort of the brain and the soul of the town. Dora used detect thoughts to determine how this idea... The, the mob seemed to believe that the uh, the sleepless agency detectives were the cause of tonight's may of that night's mayhem. Dora used detect thoughts to determine how the idea had gotten into their heads and learned that it had been planted by two of Mellison's agents. She calmed down elements of the crowd with reminders of the good that the agency had been doing for the community. Roni joined in, signaling out specific individuals with specific examples, and Grip blocked the front door and told the roughest looking uh, in the crowd that they'd have to go through him if they wanted to hurt the guests, or hurt the agents. And Dabs studied the fringes of the crowd, looking for evidence of any of Mellison's cultists having stuck around, but failed to spot anyone, likely because they heard the sound of the new chapel collapsing over on the east side of town. Nobody died, and you got three victory points there. Right after that, Dora heard rumors of trouble down by the fish market, and Grip saw some suspiciously glowing lights that Rhodey identified as will-o'-wisps. Simultaneously, Dabs was witnessing a mass exodus of rats from the north, which they and Rhodey deduced was the result of animals fleeing some sort of undead menace. So this third wave of attacks seemed to be vampires and will-o'-wisps seemingly dedicated to whipping up fear and cowing the town. Dora and Roni ran to the fish market and found glowing Jill smashed, three will-o'-wisps torturing 
Elgrior Nazmuth, the doomsayer that Ray scared way back in chapter 40. Remember, Paul? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Dora quickly used her psychic powers to implant the suggestion in Elgrior's mind that this was all a dream and that he should not be afraid, thus robbing the wisps of their food source. And then Roni convinced them that the best food in town could be found up at Iris Hill. His argument was successful in the short term, so they left. So this is when Dora learned from Elgrior that one of Mellison's cultists was seen dumping a packet of some sort into the well on the other side of the fish market. Roni leveraged his knowledge of the town to determine because of the way he thinks, if he were going to try to hurt or kill as many people as possible in town by corrupting the water supply, that he'd focus specifically on the wells at the Silver Wagon and the High Mart. So this was one victory point there, Katie. What's our total at? Right now we are at seven. Wait, we didn't get any victory point? We only got the one for the Will of the Wisps? Yeah, yeah you oh. did not get one. Oh, got it. <laughs> like one off or something like that. Uh, uh, meanwhile, Dabs and Grip reached the High Mart to find a lot of folks still up there because their shops and houses were all there and they were in a panic because the Penangolin and the Manangal were rampaging in and out of the second story windows oh! in the square there. So Dabs skulked around the edges of the commercial district and found a secure cellar to sneak people into, get them out of the air, remove targets from the vampires. Uh, Grip stood at the center of the square and tried to take control of the citizens and get them moving, but he was too exhausted. And then sensing his efforts failing, he instead called out the Mananangal and offered himself as a target to buy folks time to get into hiding. She obliged the offer, took a huge bloody bite out of him for 11 points of damage and one point of constitution damage. So that was one victory point and the mechanic, the way that worked out there was Robert basically took this huge chunk of damage onto grip to reduce the total number of dead by a die roll on my part. So six fewer people died than might have otherwise died. And as those vampires were uh, flying back off to Iris Hill, once there was no more food available in the square, Dabs spotted a dandy dropping a packet of something into the High Mart well. This was the fourth wave of attacks, which was this attempt to poison the town wells with these slow dissolving packets of alchemical poison. Roni last saw Dora as she began a mission to race across the town from neighborhood to neighborhood and well to well, spreading the word not to drink the waters until everyone was given notice that they're safe. Roni headed up to the silver wagon and after taking a sample of the water uh, in record time, determined what had been dropped into it and on the scene created a counteracting agent and completely nullified it. It was a colossally huge crafting roll. Meanwhile, up at the Highmart well, Dabwick turned into a boggard and Grip held his breath, and they both leapt into the well to see if they could actually physically find what was dropped down there. They managed to track down this packet. Uh, Grip started losing his breath, however, (laughs) was in danger of drowning, had to head back, taking one more point of constitution damage on the way from drinking in some of the water. Dabs, however, grabbed the packet and swam downstream to the next well so as to not get into Grip's way as he made his way out and got their packet out. That was three victory points from the well scenario. Finally, by around 1.30, the social social order was starting to break down and you all find yourselves in the midst of clusters of folks making some really bad decisions. Uh, Grip emerged back in the high mart and found a bunch of 
bold business owners there, emboldened by Grip's bravery, having decided that the numbers were on their side, the town could take the fight directly to Iris Hill. <laughs> Grip gathered the town, delivered a stirring speech, impressing on them the severity of the dangers in the compound, and insisting that they all return to their homes. His words carried enough weight. The crowd mostly dispersed. Uh, no victory point there. <laughs> Again, the gripper was exhausted. Are we in the fifth wave here? Uh, yes. Okay. Dabs emerged from the well by Binter's smithy, found a group of dwarves and halflings feeling abandoned and alone, and having decided that they should all pack up their families and risk it by heading into the woods in the middle of the night. Dabs spoke to the crowd, convinced them to take shelter in Fort Hailcourse, as long as they, of course, avoided the basement and the roof, and led them, flag in hand, up the hill to their fort. However, uh, Debs's careful attention to the needs of the halflings left a few of the dwarves feeling that uh, feeling a little alienated by Debs's halfling-centric approach. No victory points there. Roni found a group of all right, yeah, Roni found a group of desperate citizens near the silver wagon, having decided best idea in the world that they could end the night's trials by going up to Iris Hill and surrendering. Uh, he addressed the leader of the gaggle and informed them of the true nature of what the cultists wanted to do to all of them, appealed to their sense of self-preservation and self-worth, and asked them to try to value themselves as much as he was trying to. <laughs> it was an effective speech, and it worked on this cluster of, uh, as... <laughs> As I think you've done as the, so, as the soft people, right? Yeah. The soft folks. The soft folk. That was one more victory point. Where are we at now, Katie? 12. That brings us to Dora, who still hasn't shown up. We're edging close to two in the morning now. What do you think the three of you would do at this point? Uh, I think we'd probably try to go find her. Okay. Which, which was the last of you to see her? It would have been me. And I would have said where I had last seen her and stuff. But I, I if at this point, like, I would have taken the wand and, and blown charges to make sure that everybody was healed up. Oh, feel free to do that. Yeah, if you want to make a couple uh, yeah, rolls. I will. Uh, give, me, give me a second yep. to do that real quick. 17. I'm down 17. 17 on dab. I'm down 29. 29 on grip. Okay. What method... Do you think you would use to track her down? You know when you last oh, saw her. Oh, I would her. also have fired the the gun, fired the alchemical torch to let my group of people know that they can come up to the thing. I think the first thing we do is sort of ask and see if anybody where anybody last saw her. Okay. Okay. And, and then I would go to that place and use survival to try to track. Survival. I like that. So you know where you last saw her, which was not too, too far from the silver wagon. So if you can, if you think, so you fire off the pistol, people are heading on their way up. Maybe we pass this group, you all coming down as they're heading up, Re reiterate to them what they don't know yet, which is do not go in the basement and do not go on the battlements for your safety. But otherwise the whole first floor is, f floor is cleared out. You are both healed up to full. Thank you. And that was... Seven more charges. Give me some uh, survival checks there. And I think anybody, any of the three of you that have are, are trained in that skill can feel free to look about oh. for tracks. 32. Oh, wow. That was another natural 20. Oh, 
on fire. I'm just gonna keep making you make skill checks over and over again until the fight starts. Let's <laughs> oh. <laughs> blow all these natural 20s. <laughs> it's the rogue's curse. Johnny loves the rogue's I curse. I literally got two in a row on that heal check and then the survival check. Oh. Can you imagine getting two natural 20s in a row in a fight? It'd be amazing. It would be amazing. Especially with a pistol. Yep. Sorry, buddy. Throw your natural 20s away! Hey, I, I look at it as a natural 20 that helps us find Dora is absolutely 100%, worth it. 100%. What'd you get there, Dabwick? Uh, Dabwick supported with a 17 survival. All right. Could Dabwick perceive, too? Would the perception check be... Give me checks. See what you get. No one can aid me. As long as I still have that yeah, elixir of no one vision aid. on, Dabwick rolled a 39 perception. <laughs> Yeah, okay. You know, there was a lot of movement inside the town tonight, but not a ton of movement from neighborhood to neighborhood, with the exception of you all, because most people were trying to, like, put out the fires near their houses or, you know, gather their neighbors to safety. So I think, yeah, Roni does pick up, is able to somehow dig out from the chaos some uh, some boot prints, some catskin boot prints. I know those catskin boot anywhere, prints. Anywhere, anywhere. Yeah. You do, you do. So you recognize their site and you're able to follow them from the silver wagon over to the high mart as, the, as, as Grip and Dabwick are sort of tracking this. You're like, oh, we must have all, she must have passed through there as you two were down in the water. Able to follow her from there, down the side of the hill towards uh, the dwarven quarter of town, you pass through that, all empty. You pass through Farmer's Square, the halfling quarter of town, all empty. And it does seem as though both of these neighborhoods did actually completely empty out and go to the fort. And as you are headed towards that bridge that leads over to the east end of the east island out there where you know the whaling house to sit that is the point at which Dabwick does spot the signs of uh, of a lone figure staggering up the street towards Farmer's Square you're able to locate Dora it's it's a pretty jarring sight she has she has lost a lot of blood she is actually technically bloodied and Roni, who knows wounds, you know, you see the signs of multiple deep, jagged puncture wounds in her gut, like large objects had been stabbed into her. She's on her feet. She's walking, probably a little a little confused and tired, right, Katie? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I know, Johnny, the first thing you'd probably want to do is check her out and heal her up. Yep. Uh, let's take care of that. Uh, what are you down? More than half. I don't know what that is in terms of numbers so that I can heal you up with the... Make a heal check and find out. Oh, all right. (laughs) Okay. Uh, There is a natural one, so I have no clue. I'm so distraught about you being hurt that I would just pull out the wand and start start tapping with you. Great. All right, so... That's three. That's another nine. That's another eight. Stop. What, what does a natural one get you? What's your total there? My total would be a 13 or uh, 15 using the healer's kit. Which you can certainly do. Okay, okay. Uh, yes, you can confirm what I said, that it definitely, indeed, 
deep, jagged puncture wounds is what caused this damage to her. And finally, at this point, having been reunited, we can share the last story from our skill challenge. Dora's able to tell you that while she was making her way through town to warn about the wells, she kept hearing rumors about lights in the wailing house and the agonized cry of a young man. She couldn't help herself. She made her way there, step by step. She found a group of terrified local residents who were out of sorts that the fake haunted house at the end of their street had suddenly become a very real haunted house, hoping she could say something to what was obviously Ray's ghost, but worried that she didn't have you all with her. She convinced all the neighbors to join her, follow her in in case she needed backup. Uh, She regretted that decision almost immediately when the (laughs) ramshackle old fence that surrounded the mansion, remember that, uh, Paul and Robert, exploded outwards and filled her with a whole bunch of rotten old boards that embedded in her gut. A whole bunch of the locals got hurt as well. And the closer and closer the others got to the house, the more violent the noises and lights inside the house got until Dora made the decision to send all the other folks back. And that's when everything calmed. And then, believe it or not, Dora went in alone. She found... Ray's tormented spirit and with a diplomacy check that was a little touch and glow go only saved by rolling with advantage actually got it to talk Polly a little a little and when Ray was finally calm Daria Vaticus entered the campaign a transparent little girl with metallic skin and yellow hair another ghost So Dora drew out the finger bones, set them on the ground in front of her, and their presence seemed to provide both ghosts with a sense of peace. And Dora came to understand, as I explained, that after some, maybe after some stretches of time spent alone with the ghosts, communing with the finger bones, she might be able to get Daria to actually talk. In the end, however, the experience was very draining. So there may be some sacrifices and consequences that have to be suffered while trying to act as Daria's medium. And of course, nobody tells Stasi any of this happened. <laughs> uh, Dora said goodbye, put the finger bones back in her pouch, and started heading up the hill. And leaving this place where the planar boundaries were thin, though, seems as though maybe a little more time passed in there than she experienced, which might possibly account for this kind of like 20 minute lag here. Katie did get one victory point out of that though. So what's the grand total? Oh boy. The grand total is 13. 13. So that is a positive outcome. There's basically four levels of what could happen here. As long as you, so there's 20 possible victory points. As long as you got more than half, so 11 or higher, as a baseline, Mellison, and her crew have holed up back in Iris Hill. The two (laughs) results below that involved you all having uh, a minor fight before going, being able to rest, or a quite major fight before being able to rest. Like if you got like one through five victory points, that would have been a disaster. Didn't quite hit the 18 mark, which would have been the best possible result. And I'll share what that would have been uh, when we, maybe when we clear the book here. So what, uh, uh, and we can we can dump into character if we want, or if we want to talk about where we want to rest. Do you want to go to the fort? Do you want to go? go we talked about the book layers. Where do you want to? Where do you want to gather up for this for the this evening? I'd hate to leave the people in the in the fort unprotected <laughs> uh, overnight. Even if we we need to rest, um, 
in shifts. It just feels like to pack all the townsfolk in there and not be with them. Feels like just setting them up to get, here we go, we've now got all of the people that you need to slaughter, to use, to reopen the stele, the stellas. Here you go. (laughs) Have fun. I agree. Yeah, I think so. Do you want to try to gather more folks with you on your way up, or do you want to leave the... Yes, of course. Yeah? If people are, um, yeah, people who are displaced, I mean, people who can stay in their homes and shutter themselves up in their homes and safety should stay there, but I don't want to, I wouldn't say that. I don't think we should knock on doors. If people are hiding so well that that we don't know that they're there, then leave them to hide. If you see them and they don't seem to know what to do, gather them with you. I like that. I like that. So, of course, you have successfully convinced most of the people in town to get undercover and take hiding again. But I think you would gather up, uh, you know, another handful of, you know, 10 or a dozen stragglers, folks that did not know where to go or folks that maybe a couple of kids that couldn't find their parents Mm -hmm. in the mayhem, which I know Ronnie would immediately want to make sure had a place to go. So then we sort of, yeah, we kind of Pied Piper our way back up to the top of the hill into Fort Hill course. And seal ourselves in for the night? Yeah. Yes. That's fun. So nobody goes in the basement. Is that still the rule? And nobody goes in the battlements? Unless we want to have... Do you want to do your watches up there? How do you want to handle lookout over the course of the night? I mean, honestly, I feel like... I, I don't remember the map, but I feel like it would be like looking at that place and going, what is the most defensible spot in that where it's like one or two doors in and get as many people in there as possible you know like sleep like how where would everyone have to be so the safest place would be the courtroom so you can get as many people as possible in there from that point i think you'd be working out into the barracks which only have interior entrances so you probably go to the furthest away from the entrance barracks and fill out from there where somebody would have to go through like three quarters of the building to get to them and then the courthouse is kind of like the end of the east side of the building. So you can get people in there, seal it up. And are we telling them to stay off the battlements just because of visibility? Or is there something up there, do we think? That was that was something that Paul had led with, I think, thinking just so... Visibility-wise. Yeah, just not draw attention. If they're shooting England, arrows into the... Yeah. They can also, like, fly up and pick somebody off, possibly. Right. I'm thinking that of the courtyard, too. Like, being close to the courtyard, any flying villain would be able to swoop down and sure sure i think we would blockade the uh the door to the to downstairs so that nothing would be able to get up without making a crap ton of noise you can take like all of the furniture from uh the magistrate's office right down right down the stairs right there and just heap it up against that door like nothing can get through it without uh, a massive amount of noisy work yeah that part's easily done and most of the yeah i don't think well, you've got one dissolved door by the dungeon, but you can seal the doors on the first level of the dungeon that lead into the dining room and the courtroom in a similar manner. You've got that giant dining table. You can use that to cover one of those doors. Nothing's going to move that from the other side. Uh, you've got plenty of furniture on the inside here to move around. So, yeah. Seal I, those doors. Seal it up. Yeah, I think we do that. And Great. Just hunker down. Great. And then Rest. For the first time in a thousand years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so exhausted. I would certainly, I'm, I mean, I know that we're all exhausted, but I would also probably be going around and doing any kind of like heel checks on anybody to see if anybody's 
injured, damaged, whatever they might need kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any other like end of evening uh, activities or chit chats before we <laughs> take or drag our fucking asses to our bugs? Grip pounds that potion and he collapses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dora's not really wanting to hang out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think the last thing that uh, that uh, I, I don't want to blow this, but also I think that I'm paranoid enough to be worried about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there is that potion of seek thoughts. Uh huh. I think that I would drink it to then see if there is anybody in this group of townspeople that is not supposed to be here. Mm. That is actually a plant. That is actually a spy. That is actually a cultist. That is. <laughs> actually here to get us. I think that I would blow that resource to make certain that this giant group of people that we have locked ourselves in here with um, is, are all on the up and up. (sighs) That's really fun. So you sift through the surface thoughts of those around you. You can scan for the answer to a simple question or for information on a general topic. You can maintain concentration while you engage in normal conversation. Oh, that's so fun. That's I mean, so fun. I know that it blows like a resource, but I feel like it's a w- I feel like it's a it. good use of it. If there's somebody in here who's especially not tonight to be. and being paranoid, yes, uh, that's great. That is great. So we can we can picture sort of the the tail end of this incredibly long day with Roni making his way through the crowd while visibly tending to and healing them, but mentally probing them for secret information. I love that idea. Um, You don't discover anybody in this cluster of people that Roni would determine has any information or is sitting on a secret, uh, uh, like they're trying to infiltrate this group or anything like that. So you can feel very comfortable that uh, you can sleep peacefully. Shall we sleep? (laughs) Yes. Aye. Overnight, Dora, Grip, and Roni dream. And they all dream the same dream because their dreams are of God and for God. And God, Shaman Dor, dreams your dreams. Because you are holy. (laughs) You know the inmost blot, and it knows you. Tonight you dream of a civilized planet, a planet populated by living creatures loosely resembling eight-legged green and orange giraffes. Creatures unusually resistant to mental effects. Creatures with neither a spoken language nor the concept of individual names. And creatures, thanks to a quirk of their evolution, creatures that do not dream. Creatures very challenging for Jamandor to infect. But don't worry, you all. God is great. God is good. God happened to arrive on this planet, drawn by the siren's song of the yellow stones, as much more than a minuscule blot. It arrived in size and might this time, as an 80-foot-tall, conical mass of fungal mouths. It splashed down into the warm waters of the Western Sea and began its great work. Frustrated by the native civilization's resilience to its typical means of growth, and aware that, without worship it would soon begin to slumber. It uprooted itself and began touching physically all life forms it encountered. Very few resisted turning immediately into wet pools of gangrenous sludge, but some did. Some of their bodies accepted the gift of seed-borne consumption, 
fell into the requisite comas as the germinating fibers deep within them digested their organs, as they died and rose as fungal corpse puppets, fully and painfully aware of their past lives and the blasphemy done to their bodies, yet compelled to physically spread Jamandor's corruption by touch. And so they did. Touch, touch, touch. Cough, cough, cough. Spore by spore. Victim by victim. The, uh, the tough-minded green spider giraffes put up a good fight. But come on. What civilization is going to survive against a CR-26 great old one and its ever-growing army of undead fungus monsters that explode into clouds of corruptive spores when you kill them? It was a different trajectory on that world, but that's fine. That's good. And you know what? It is good that you know that the paths to success which God has available to him are myriad and beautiful. And you exult to experience the moment on that world when nothing but the fungal corpse puppets remained. When God used the final dying gasps of a decaying planet as the means to launch itself into space and fly home and to shit the remnants of that planet's mental energies, its civilization and disorder, into the sewers of Carcosa and to feel the parasite city shiver and grow stronger and realer and to pulse with potential. The good work never stops. Praise. 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 So, uh, aside from the troubling dreams, we do indeed sleep overnight. Grip takes the pads, are He heals up one point of uh, constitution damage from that, one point from resting, so he is back up to full con, full hit points. Let's see. Anybody else with any ability damage would get one back of those. I think we're all good. At th- are you? Are you? I'm, I'm back to full now. You're back to full now. Yeah. Was this the day you got back to full? Yeah. Okay. What was it? Charisma? No. Con. Con. Oh, from the vamp- from the star vampire. Yeah. 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 So, spell prep wise, Polly, you ready to go, or you need a second? Um. Or you want to discuss with the group in any instance? Well, uh, Dabwick's not going to prepare prepare spells till dusk. Oh, I totally forgot. Yeah. So we've got. You're stuck with what you've got. I've got what I've got for now. Right, 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 right. Which is not much. So, we're sitting on a whole bunch of things we can research. Also, if we want to get the full aftermath report of who died and stuff like that, I think that's going to take like one the the one d four hours of a diplomacy check to gather information. Uh, if you want to have like, maybe one of you do that, or if you have another means, you think of doing that. Uh, we got a lot of options available to us today. So it's what eight hours after two. So let's call it ten in the morning at this point. We know the ship's going to be back around. Let's call it five ish. That's also when Dabs will need to be prepping. So we do have you know, a cluster of hours in the day here to have some conversations among ourselves if we wish, to dig into some of the stuff that we're sitting on. What do you all, what do you all want to do today? Can do we train? have enough time to... I, well, I, I wouldn't be able to train because my training partner is on the ship. At sea. <laughs> Unbelievable. You're going to be uh, you're going to be 14th level before you get that. It'll be a great day, though. It'll yeah. be an amazing thing. I'm going to call a number right now. Chapter 115. Oh, God. <laughs> That's my guess. That's my guess. I don't know what will be happening, but that's the day that Johnny finally gets the feet he wants. But I know that we're also sitting on a lot 
of sanity damage. Oh. That feels like something that would be probably uh, not a bad idea for us to... I know that it is metagamey, but we are messed up. But also the reality for these characters is you look around, you see hollow eyes, you yeah. see paranoid eyes, you see scared eyes, you see exhaust... Yeah, it's, it is in front of you. So Dabs has three, Roni has eight, Grip has 14, and Dora has 12. Oh. Oh, yeah. No, we, we, we all need... We all need some help. <laughs> Stasi can help someone. None of them the are going to be back until oh, crap. five. So <laughs> yes. literally all of our... So we have so to help each other. I have a wisdom uh, modifier of plus four. Is that helpful? I have an intelligence modifier of plus four. I have an intelligence modifier of plus three. Grip's not going to be able to give it, but he needs it more than anyone. I mean, the two of you probably need it more than anyone. Uh, I have the second most, but I also have the highest um, threshold. Highest, yeah, and edge. You gotta. Yeah, you're. Yeah, but if you if you go past it, I understand. I'm just saying. I'm. I'm. I have more of a buffer. Grip needs it more than me, so I could talk to Dabs, and you could talk to Grip. Or, or I could talk to you, and you could talk e- either to either one. Yeah, yeah. And if there's any. Lesser restorations that want to be cast to nothing. Nothing left. I have nothing, nothing left. left. Let me let me look on our sheet and see if there's anything. Oh, we have unidentified magic items. Should we yes, start with those? We yes, we should absolutely do all Let's that. Start with those. Dora isn't feeling quite herself. Mm. So what? Uh, I assume we're doing detect magic. Zoom. Zoom. The unlabeled book radiates a moderate aura of divination. I would definitely check that for traps before anybody looked at it. Give me a perception check. Because I remember the gentleman who was trapped in amber. Mm-hmm. That is a 24. 24? Okay. Uh, no sense of any traps on the unlabeled book. I would flip it open first before anybody else had a chance to look at it because I figure I probably have a better chance at evading anything than... I love, I love that. Great. So flipping through it, Roni, it seems to be an endless string of seemingly random words and phrases and then sometimes just letters. <laughs> you, can't even, you can't even determine a language out of it. So like it would need read, read magic kind of thing? Um, it needs to be identified. It might need to be identified. Oh, got it. Okay. Well, then it, it, once, it, it, doesn't, once I feel, it doesn't do anything to you. Once I feel like it's safe, then I would go, this this can be looked at. Okay. So you want to start with dabs, and then if dabs has no luck, we'll turn it over to identify? Yeah. Great. 16 spellcraft check. Unknown. I start mixing. All right. Make your check. That's a 43. Yeah. This is a book of the lore master. Three times a day, a bard or any member of any relevant class, such as a scald, can consult it while using the lore master class feature in order to gain a plus five competence bonus when taking 10 or 20 on a knowledge check. 
I know. I knew when you got that, Katie would immediately start pondering, oh my gosh, do I take one level of bard just to do this? Is that a waste of my time? Um, but this is something that you know that uh, Barnabas could make use of. And there may be, I don't know, prestige classes or other things down the line for Katie that she might mm-hmm. be looking at that could possibly actually make use of this. Do not sell. Yeah, no, it's uh, it is a it is a very potent magic item for a party looking to know information. Which we are. Which you certainly are. Shall we go that through? ring from Mama Lowell's? Okay, make a check on that. 40. <laughs> that is a ring of protection plus one. Who doesn't have a ring? I don't have a ring. Well, I have a wedding ring. <laughs> well, I would certainly be willing to give it to you, but I would also say, like, I tend to be in the front a lot getting the crap beat out of me, but I'm, at the same time... I'm I not arguing there. Yes, do it. Do you, Would you rather Take have it? it? All right. All right, so Roni takes the ring. What else do we have unidentified? We have still the uh, unidentified vial of dust. Oh, yeah. Give that a roll. That is a... Oh, wow, that's a 47. <laughs> my God. That's, that was another natural 20. There were two natural 20s in these, by the way. I've literally rolled four natural 20s so far on all these skill checks, so I assume when we actually fight, I will be rolling ones and twos. This is dust of appearance. A single handful of this substance flung in the air coats objects within a 10-foot radius, making them visible even if they are invisible. It likewise negates the effects of blur and displacement, works basically like a fairy fire spell. It also reveals figments, minor images, and projected images for what they are. Any creature coated with the dust takes a minus 30 penalty on stealth checks, <laughs> and the dust lasts for five minutes. So one dose of that's pretty cool. Wow, that's awesome. We have two unidentified scrolls. Let me spellcraft check. That is only a 34. This is really fun. (laughs) It's two scrolls carefully kept in this trunk of psychic surgery. It's a sixth level psychic spell. Cures the target of all intelligence, wisdom, and charisma damage and restores all points permanently drained from the target's intelligence, wisdom, and charisma scores. It also eliminates all ongoing insanity, confusion, and fear effects. It can also remove other mental afflictions, including enchantment spells and abilities, even instantaneous effects. But in that case, if a dispel magic couldn't remove it, psychic surgery works only if the spell level or equivalent spell level of the effect was sixth level or lower. Psychic surgery removes all effects, magically altering the target's memory, even instantaneous (laughs) effects, and can restore a memory to perfect clarity, like the second use of modify memory. Now, the uh, modify memory spell has like a five-minute window. So, like, these couldn't be used to... And you, I think, (laughs) like, just to get a little metagamey here, I think you you as players should understand that the baseline situation for you 
is not as simple as memory loss. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, but like, I look at this, eliminates all ongoing insanity. I'm like, I think this cures a madness. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you can find a way to cast it, a six level spell. Is, but is it a psychic? It's a psychic spell. But is it a psychic scroll? <laughs> yes, apparently it is. <laughs> so then you could cast it if you yes, could. Yes, but I don't. I don't have use magic device, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure that I can trick it into. Let me look at scrolls. I don't think you know if it's on your list. To activate a scroll, first you must decipher the. Oh, so here's where door will get hung up. Yeah. You have to first decipher it, which is DC 20 plus the spell level. So Dora would have to get a DC 26 spellcraft check. I don't have spellcraft. Then activating the spell must be of the correct type, which it would be. Must be on the spell list, which it would be. Must have the requisite ability score, which you would. If you can get past the decipher the writing hurdle, then you basically make a caster level check. In this case, it would be uh, DC 12, which is not, not hard at all. Wow. Psychic surgery either cures the target of a lesser madness or reduces the DC of a greater madness by the spell's caster level. Yeah, cool. So that that is that is a lesser madness just gone if you can somehow find a way to use this. Uh, I'm just going to put both those scrolls on my sheet if no one minds. Yeah, I mean, also like the idea that later on if we got a greater madness, then that would be a way of getting out of it. Oh, yeah. So these are things that keep characters in the campaign. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And definitely do note, (laughs) placed in this particular trunk with this particular collection of books. Yep. (laughs) In case that slipped your attention. Oh, so Mm. definitely not a bad idea to hold on to if we start to look through this particular group of books. What else we got to identify? Do we need to identify the red leather spell book? No, but that would require opening it and going through it if somebody wishes to do that. I will, again, uh, check it for traps and make sure that it is not trapped. Give me a perception check. Guess where that low roll came from now. Here it is. There you go. That was a four on the die for a total of 16. Johnny, 17. it's clean. It's clean. It looks great. Yeah. It's great. Throw, throw it wide open. With abandon. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fine. Uh, it is a spell book. And uh, unquestionably, this book was made by the same hand that crafted the formula book that you carry. And even though it's different leather than the natty old spell book that uh, it's, it's covered in, that was covered in fungus and all that kind of stuff, and you're, you're now seeing enough of these things. Definitely the same, the same crafter made all of these books. This is the actual exact leather of the uh, formula book you're carrying and the armor you once wore. Give me a spellcraft check on the contents. Let's see if you can read this book, which, of course, you're casting Identify. You certainly will. That is a 40. The spellbook contains Blindness Deafness, Charm Person, Dancing Lights, Day's Monster, Detect Magic, Detect Thoughts, Eagle's Splendor, Expeditious Retreat, Fox's Cunning, Ghost Sound, Hypnotism, Mirror Image, Prestidigitation, Read magic, shield, and silent image. Do any of you note the common thread among these spells? Very charisma Uh, based. um, Yeah, that's close enough. They're all bard spells. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah, we got it. No. That's interesting to have a spell book of bard spells. It is interesting and weird. Yeah, how, what, uh, is there a knowledge something, how people work, how classes work? Does it, you would just know, you would just know that in this world, bards would not have a spell book. Like there is, there's no reason. But surely there is a archetype. Does a this, bard that has a spell book. Does there, this there must specific be. one uh, have psychic significance? Do you want to do some detection there? Sure. Dora opens herself up to psychic significance. The Book of the Loremaster is radiating psychic significance. The Red Leather Spellbook is radiating psychic significance. The collection of interview notebooks is radiating psychic significance. The leather bag that held mommy's jewels radiating psychic significance. Give me a perception check, Katie. Natural 20, 32. Uh, The dice are going to tell a story here. Out of the corner of Dora's eye, Dora catches that the pouch that she carries her finger bones in is now radiating psychic significance. And it never had before. What had what had radiated before was the finger bones, and you saw that spilling out of the pouch. The actual pouch itself is now radiating psychic significance, and this is new. How odd. Huh. Dora reaches for the pouch. It's empty. They are now gone. Uh, okay, but the... Uh, but the pouch itself is still radiating psychic significance? Is now radiating. Is now radiating. Psychic significance. Well, excuse me for a moment. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry if any of you had any psychometry readings you wish to <laughs> conduct today, but that is odd. Uh, I would like to perform psychometry on the now empty finger bones pouch. Uh, hey, Dora. Hmm? Maybe we should take this to a different room. You want to find a private spot? Yeah. Okay, easily done. All right. And we're bringing dabs? Right. They were at the last one. All right. Those cows are out. No no, no <laughs> yeah. use closing the barn door now. <laughs> oh, so you know the um, that room at the very top of the dungeon, which is only reached yeah. by those exterior stairs, where yeah. basically you know, nobody on the inside can get to on this to go out. You could easily slip up to there to have a space for Dora to get the privacy and concentration that she needs. Gather up in there? Yeah. Yep. Okay, Dora will use um, Burst of Insight at the end of this So, we have left the stuff from Iris Hill behind and gathered upstairs at the top of the dungeon in Fort Hale Course as Dora holds the now empty sack of finger bones in her hands focuses her mental energies. Give me that check. Guidance. Zoom. Thank you. 28. (laughs) Dora dips the tendrils of her mind into the river of time and we're in what appears to be the front room of a dilapidated old mansion. 
It's a huge space, around 100 feet long, close to 50 feet wide. Smash-rotted furniture is littered everywhere, and crumbling bookshelves, peppered with the remnants of old, faded, crumbling books, line the walls. Dora enters through the ramshackle front door, and her breath is fogging in the frigid air. She whispers something to herself as she enters. It's hard to hear, but it sounds like a mournful... I didn't say goodbye to any of them. She steps into the room and finds a transparent ray, his arms outstretched. He's howling and wailing at the sky, coming in and out of existence. He's completely unaware of Dora's presence. As she walks, step by step, deeper into the wailing house, Dora becomes aware that the ghost is howling the name Daria. Dora sighs in sorrow. She moves to sit on the floor in front of the raging, screaming phantom. She takes out her crystal, which lights up, and she sets it beside her. Then she takes out the small pouch, which contains the finger bones, and she lays them on the floor in front of her. After gathering herself, she speaks. Ray, can you hear me? The screaming slowly fades, but the ghost still seems unaware of her specific presence in the room. If you remember me, remember that we were friends and we looked out for one another. There's a catch in her voice. I feel I failed you. And now you are caught somewhere I cannot reach you. But I am still your friend. And whatever it was that you have done, I forgive you. Sidebar here. Katie, this is where shit is starting to get really weird for Dora. For the first part of what I've described, she sort of remembered it like that, but she has absolutely no memory of saying that. For the first time since we started using the mechanic of psychometry back in chapter six, it feels fake. It feels false. This did not happen. And uh, I imagine Dora has to start to wonder if she can trust anything she has ever learned from any of these visions. What's she feeling? Does she continue to try to stop this? No, she's curious. Okay. More information is always helpful. The ghost of Braden Vaticus for the first time manifests eyeballs in his hazy body of light and they stare down at Dora. He is openly weeping now. His mouth moves, but all Dora hears is backwards, out of sync, groaning and garble. He's trying so hard to communicate something, but he can't. Instead, he reaches down for the bones and as he touches them, they crumble to ash and he vanishes like light being sucked into a singularity. Dora weeps for a moment. 
She grabs the crystal from off the floor, makes her weary way to her feet. And as she does so, we notice what Dora does not with a 12 on the die for a perception check of 24. I rolled all these up and and rolled 20 just to let the dice tell the story here. That's the answer to your earlier question, (laughs) Katie, why there's so many die 20 rolls. The reason Dora does not see what we do is because what we have spotted is invisible. There is something crawling across the ceiling, through the northwest doorway, across this vast space, leaving faint shimmers of predator-style disturbances in the air, and unmooring small bits of crumbling plaster from the ceiling. As whatever it is moves, passing over Dora's head, you see Dora wobble on her feet. She makes a will save of 15, 8 on the die, and after a percentile roll of 37 on a confusion effect, she's left babbling incoherently as sensations of madness and death and vengeance and pain, eternal pain, and a bottomless feeling of absolute abandonment cascade through her in a devastating rush. Even though she's fighting through this fog of madness, Dora understands that she is in danger and she knows she has to get out of there. With an initiative check of 16, though, the invisible creature beats Dora's six. Dora is trying to fight through the confusion and get the hell out of here, but the invisible shape has gotten in front of her and drops to the floor between her and the doorway. There is a momentary grunt of discomfort, as though maybe an acrobatics check made to defray some falling damage has failed. Then a tiny little girl voice whispers out of nowhere. Hello, mommy. Dora howls in pain as blood sprays out of her gut, six points of damage, and something materializes. It's a child, a little girl with pale bloodless skin gleaming like metal, eyes the color of the deepest night, lank and filthy yellow hair and a natty bob. She's wearing a decade-old, at least, rotting blue baby doll dress is a crown of rotting flowers wreathing her head. Her neck is a mangled mess, like something small and thin and sharp had nearly severed it. And she has no hands. Her arms end in the stumps of sawed-off ulna and radius. One of her jagged arm stumps is buried deep in Dora's gut. Dora feels all of her muscles start to lock up, but with a natural 20 on her save, fights that effect off. However, all she's doing this entire round is babble. The little girl squints her eyes, noting that Dora is still moving. She pounds a foot on the floor and she bellows, Sit, mummy! Stay! Tea party! She's speaking in Aklo now. Dora gets a seven on her will save, falls prone to the floor. She can't help herself. It's out of her control now. She throws herself on the ground. Daria stabs her again, 18 on the die, six more points of damage. Dora fights off the paralysis. Daria stabs again, five points. And finally, with a five on the die, Dora stops moving entirely. The little girl looks across the room at the discarded pouch that once held her hands. Mommy gave me up. Mommy wanted to give me up. I knew it. I knew it. The walking child corpse sits on Dora's chest and, not particularly gently, uses her jagged arm stumps to brush Dora's hair to the side of her face. 
Such a pretty girl. So much potential. No one will ever hurt you. No one will ever hurt you. No one will ever hurt you. Dora and Tima watch helplessly through Dora's eyes as Daria wrenches back and unleashes an anguished but absolutely silent scream. Daria stabs Mummy over and over and over, and when she sees the light start to go out of Mummy's eyes, Daria combs her belongings and finds some potions. Fun juice! She pours a potion of cure light wounds into her paralyzed mouth and smiles as some of Mummy's wounds heal back up. She stabs her again and again and again. So much potential. <clears throat> so powerful. <clears throat> so pretty. Daria gives Mummy another fun juice and then leans in and places her corpse lips over Dora's. A dead spider husk falls into Dora's throat, nearly gagging her. Daria inhales deeply, staring into Mummy's eyes for an uncomfortably long time. And after a second, Dora's eyes roll back into her head and something seems to drop out of her. But soon enough, she starts stirring. Daria skips across the room and picks up the now empty leather pouch. Don't forget your things! Even though they mean nothing to you, we always pick up our room. She tucks the pouch back in Dora's belongings and helps her to her bleary feet. Come back, Mommy. Come back, Mommy, soon. Mommy, 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 look at me. Mommy, look at me. Dora's wobbly head veers down and makes eye contact. Daria places her stumps on Mommy's chin. Remember? What do we say? Any pain visited on us will be returned a thousandfold upon those who dare to hurt us. Bye, Mommy. She pushes Dora out the front door, and the vision ends. And that's the end of Chapter 73. We'll pick up next time. Oh. Dark Nexus is a creation of Plug and Hum Productions. This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Paizo Incorporated, which are used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo Inc. For more information about Paizo's community use policy, please visit paizo.com slash community use. And for more information about Paizo and Paizo products, please visit paizo.com. That's P-A-I-Z-O dot Dark Nexus uses music and soundscapes by Sirenscape. Check them out at sirenscape.com. That's S-Y-R-I-N-S-C-A-P-E dot com. Opening and closing themes along with additional music composed by Rob Kozlarik. Artwork for Dark Nexus is by Matt Walquist. Special thanks to Toy, without whose generosity this project would not have been possible. And thanks to DMCP, Richard and Ari, Paul and Shannon, Chris, Scotty, Jason, Jess, Joe, Chelsea, Matt, Dave, Darren, and everyone we've gamed with over the years for all the memories and inspiration. WTPK. Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Two tags. Season good. two tag. <laughs>